0: Hi, this is Kara Eglinton, host of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and this is our Future is Missing Voice America Kids. Please be on the lookout for 15-year-old Erin Bird. She is considered an endangered runaway. Erin went missing from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, on November 19, 2011. She is Caucasian. Five, three, weighing 112 pounds with brown eyes and blonde hair. If you know of Aaron Bird's whereabouts, please contact the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children's Hotline at 1 800 The Lost. That is 1 800 843 5678. To see a picture of Aaron Bird, please click on the link on the Voice America homepage, Our Future Is Missing, or go to our OurFutureIsMissing.com. Thank you.
1: This is VoiceAmericaKids.com. It's time for Speaking of Sports, your weekly look inside at the stats, scores, opinions, and facts from a kid's point of view. You can't miss one moment of the action going on in the next hour. Now, here's your host.
2: Welcome to the program. You're listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Fabian, and I'm here with Wills. And you're listening to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids Network. Today we got a good show for you today we're talking about. Major League Baseball offseason over. We're getting ready for spring training, and that's a good sign, because that means we're ready for a summer craze. Also, in the NBA, numerous storylines, including what everyone's talking about, Lin Sanity. So, Wills. Well, what has surprised you most about Major League Baseball's offseason so far?
0: Um, mostly how just some players have not stayed in their hometown, such as Poolhouse not going back to St. Louis and Fielder staying, er, going back to his father's hometown of Detroit.
2: Yeah, definitely it's been a crazy offseason, lots of moves, very active offseason, and very quietly one of the more unnoticeable storylines, especially with the NBA, NFL lockout. Major League Baseball was able to get their uh, collective bargaining agreement done, very much under wraps, and very uh, away from the spotlight, which I think many Major League Baseball fans appreciated, especially with all the NBA lockout and NFL lockout craze. But also, numerous moves such as Pujols and TJ Wilson teaming up to go to the Angels. T- Prince Fielder joining Miguel Cabrera in Detroit. Lots of shifts in power in Major League Baseball. Angels going from a disappointing team a year ago to becoming one of the contenders in the AL. While also seeing teams like Miami Marlins moving teams, getting a new manager, and bringing in talent such as Jose Reyes, Hanley Ramirez, and Mark Burley. So, what else? It's been a very eventful offseason. What do you think is the team that improved most this offseason?
0: I've got to say the Los, Los Angeles, because they just had, last year they just had um, one pitcher, Jared Weaver, who was still one of the, considered one of the best pitchers in the AL, but now they added one extra pitcher to help him out, and they have some offensive firepower now. I think they will be the best team in the AL.
2: I think it's going to be interesting, because although they only have one ace, but now they have two aces, but also they have a very solid pitching staff behind them. Remember Urban Santana threw that no-hurt hitter last year. Very solid, young starting pitching rotation. They improved that bullpen a little bit with Troy Hawkins to go along with their rookie, with their second-year closer now Weldon, and also be interesting to see how Kendrick Morales returns. He hasn't played, remember, in almost two years since breaking his leg after a walk-off grand slam. So it's gonna be really interesting to see how AL Angels. How the Angels do, especially since they're in the same division as the Texas Rangers, a team that's gone to the World Series the last two years. Also, it's been interesting to see in the National League. The National League East, I think, is the overall most improved division because they got Phillies, who they improved their bullpen. they got Jonathan Papelbon from the Boston Red Sox definitely shoring up their bullpen and providing security at the closer position, which they have not had since Brad Lidge first went down. Also, Miami Marlins have definitely improved. New stadium, new uniform, new look, new manager. Whole bunch of change going on, and now they've become a contender. Also, Washington Nationals, I think, is definitely a team to watch for. They acquired Edwin Jackson, along with Gio Gonzalez, have a very solid starting pitching rotation. couple of left-handers in there that can really compete with other teams in that division. Also, I think one thing there's only one thing I think the Nationals are missing that's the center fielder. And that help might come if, during the season. That is, if they decide to call up their prize, former number one draft pick, Bryce Harper.
0: Yeah, he and uh, yeah, he's gonna be uh, definitely add some firepower into that offense. But th- that's just such a fire pack division with the Phillies being such a powerhouse that they are, and the Marlins making so many changes. But we'll see how the how the Nationals can get it done.
2: Yeah, and one thing, one of the things I think that's going under the radar this this offseason with their moves, I think they made the playoffs as a surprise team a year ago but they definitely shored up on their starting pitching and relieving. I think they're definitely going to contend in their division next year as well. It's been a tight race I think in the NL West between the Giants and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Arizona Diamondbacks, remember, being last year's Cinderella story. Inching into the playoffs, beating out the defending world champions in their division and now they're adding pitching. They have added Trevor Cahill, also improving their bullpen. They got Takashi Saito and Craig Breslow. I think it's going to be interesting to see how all these new additions improve, as well as seeing how this offense rebounds. Seeing how Ryan Roberts, will he be able to be that producer? Will he have Paul Goldschmidt? Will he be the power hitter? Everyone expects him to be that he was last year. How will Steven Drew return from his broken ankle? It's going to be really interesting to see how this entire team Mold together because that team thrived pretty much solely off chemistry last year. And I think also one of the key things to, th- to think about last year, gold glover, Gerardo Parra, left fielder, everyone was a fan favorite. But then Dynamax make an interesting move. They bring in Jason Kubel, who's definitely his bat will definitely have the lineup. Nothing gets Parra more of a power bat than Parra has. It's going to be interesting how. They've platooned the role between Parra and Justin Kubel, especially with Parra's great defense and his ability to get hits towards the bottom of the order.
0: Yeah, yeah, Kubel, I don't think they did anything against the outfield, but I think they brought in Kubel just to add a little competition into that outfield just to get everyone to step it up a little bit knowing your job is not always safe.
2: Yeah, I think the one team, player on the team that's going to be key for this year, definitely Justin Upton. Justin Upton, going from Oh, he's eating me a bus. When is he going to actually reach his potential? So last year, he'll becoming one of the leading MVP candidates toward the, by the end of the year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Justin Upton bounces back after a really breakout year last year. He improved defensively this offseason, and it's going be interesting to see if he can keep his hitting up.
0: Yeah, he's just been such of a power hitter that last year he was one of the leading uh, leading in the league of hit, getting hit by pitchups, which is very interesting. Yeah,
2: he has definitely become a center of the line of guy that we haven't had in Arizona probably since Luis Gonzalez's era. I don't think it's fair to compare the two quite yet, but I see numerous similarities. The guys who were questioned for the fielding early on in their careers, uh, always, uh, of course just Luis Gonzalez wasn't a number one draft pick, but still, questioned for fielding early on in their years and eventually developed into becoming superstars. Also interesting, New York Yankees. I think they were a team that was definitely under the radar for most of this offseason until the trade. Probably the biggest trade of this offseason. Jesus Montero, who everyone thought was going to be DH for the Yankees this coming year, gets shipped off to Seattle for one of the most promising pitchers in the American League last year. A guy, more strikeouts than innings pitch, Huge rocket arm. Everyone thought it was going to become a very interesting one-two punch in Seattle with Felix Hernandez it will be Michael Pineda going to the Yankees, providing an extra ace. Also, with that move, it actually became a necessity. It looks like A.J. Burnett will be going to the Pirates.
0: Yeah, Pirates and the New York Yankees have agreed to a trade that would send right-hander A.J. Burnett to Pittsburgh. The Pirates will send right-hander reliever Diego Moreno and outfielder Ricardo Coyotes to New York in return. Moreno is a 25-year-old from Venezuela, has split the past two seasons between the Class A and Double A minor league teams. Cayones, who is 20, spent 2011 in Class A. The deal is pending approval. The deal is pending appro- approval from Baseball Commissioner's Office, which is needed because of the money involved. The Pirates will pay 13 million of the 31.1 million remaining on Burnett's contract. Sources said Burnett is on a year-round contract and has already been paid 1.9 million in 2012. That approval was not given not given Friday night. The deal was finalized too late in the day for that, and a source involved in the negotiations told ESPN New York, Wallace Wallace Matthews, that official approval from Commissioner Budsey would probably not come before Monday. As soon as Burnett, as the Burnett deal is done, the Yankees will begin the aggressive pursuit of a veteran designated hitter, sources said. Sources said there's good a good deal of sentiment with the Yankees' organization, go after Raul Banez, who wants to play for the team, to be their designated hitter against the right-handers, partly because they believe he can give them some days of the outfield. Although Johnny Damon and Hideki Matsui are also available, they are generally generally regarded as unplayable defensively, so to say.
2: Yes, definitely a big move. Also one of the things, numerous familiar faces, especially in some of baseball's brightest and biggest-named teams, are retiring. Jorge Posada, one of the part of the Big Four team of Yankees that won all their World Series together in the last couple decades, has retired. Tim Wakefield, who has been the oldest player in Major League Baseball the last couple of years, retires at age 45. So it's interesting to see how this new young wave of players has definitely grown and taking their spots in Major League Baseball as some players are nearing the end of their careers.
0: Yeah, and with Adrian Burnett heading to Pittsburgh, the Yankees next expect to sign Raul, Raul Obanias as a left-handed designated hitter, and Eric Chavez as a backup infielder.
2: Yeah, I think Eric Chavez definitely was key to that team last year, especially when A-Rod was out. He proved that he could still swing the bat. We all knew he could do that back in his days in Oakland, but for a while he hadn't been able to show it. But I think it's good for the Yankees because he's always been reliable for his glove. He's one of the best defensive third basemen I think in the American League today. I think I like the signing of the possible signing of Raul Ibanez to the Yankees. He's a guy for the last couple years with the Phillies as been a solid producer. Can still play left field from time to time, and can always. I think that swing would definitely work well in Yankee Stadium. I think it would have been more a sentimental choice to bring back a player like Matsui or Damon. But I think Ibanez, the player who's a little bit younger, would be better addition, especially since he can handle the field. I think he actually can swing the bat a little bit better than Johnny Damon, and, um, and Matt Matuti. It wouldn't be surprising to see Johnny Damon possibly going back to Tampa
0: Bay, even with the
2: signing of Carlos Pena.
0: Yeah, and as you said earlier, how, how many key players or big players that are retiring. It's interesting to see how old the Yankees are getting, such as their closers and their starting pitching rotation. It's, then the Yankees need to get some younger players yeah but the
2: Yankees do have a very talented arm system they have Manny Banuelos, who is definitely a rocket arm the ace of the future for this Yankee squad but I still very think still think it's interesting that they trade away one of their young promising talents and Jesus Montero I like the addition of Michael Pineda, but I still think Montero as a DH would have been a better option but still another news the other New York squad the Mets have Johan Santana recently has thrown off the mound it will be really interesting to see how his former Cy Young Award winner will be able to come back.
0: A good year at coincidentally flew over the New York Mets spring training complex as Johan Santana prepared to step onto a mound Friday for the first time since late September. It, it perhaps is an appropriate sight since-, since manager Terry Collins labeled Santana's ensuing 25 pitch session to catcher Josh Thull, a huge first step for us in spring training. Santana did not appear in the major leagues af- majors last season after undergoing surgery September 14th to repair a torn interior capsule in his left shoulder. I finally had a chance to to, throw on the, to get on the mound and throw, throw to a catcher, to Thull, and I really felt good, Santana said Friday afternoon. The approach that we had from the beginning was to do everything like I always do to get ready for this
2: season. And Major League Baseball, of course, has had numerous changes, but I think the team that's probably made the worst offseason would definitely be Chicago White Sox. They have they made almost no moves to improve their squad, and the one big major move that they made was trading away a guy who they thought was me a solid closer, cheap, but they traded him away for a guy who people say is a second-tier type prospect. So it's really interesting to see that move especially after the disappointing end to last season for the Chicago White Sox.
0: Yeah, especially since they just lost their manager. They needed to make some moves, which they didn't, which is not going to be good.
2: Yeah, I think their new manager, Robin Ventura, I think that's an interesting move. I like it because he has experience in the Chicago area. He knows Chicago fans, and he can handle it. He had a very solid MLB career, but it's very interesting to see having him manage... A team for the first time. He's never managed before at any level, and especially for a guy who's been away from baseball for seasons around eight years. So it's really very interesting to see how he adjusts to Major League Baseball. Also, I think it's going to be interesting to see in his second full season as a manager, Kirk Gibson. He never really had much moment to doubt last year, and it's going to be interesting to see, especially now with teams looking at looking at him as a team to beat, especially the. Dimex winning the division last year. It's been interesting to see once you guys under the pressure, especially with the Giants making several moves during this offseason to improve their ball club.
0: Yeah, I think is a good enough manager where, without many star players that the Dynamax had last year, we f- found a way to beat those defending champion Giants, which is an amazing move for someone whose first full season as a manager still found a way.
2: Yeah, so we might as well go ahead and have our preseason awards picks. I well. I I think a major league uh, MVP in the American League. I think definitely will be Albert Pujols, especially if he's able to turn this Angels team around. If The Angels make the playoffs. I think Albert Pujols should win the MVP award because he has really turned this team around.
0: Uh, yeah, but I I would most likely say Justin Verlander because even though the um, Tigers just brought in, um, they just brought in. Um, Bre- er, Prince Fielder, fielder yeah. yeah, Prince Fielder. Um, Verlander just led that team to the playoffs, and even though they lost in the first round to the Yankees, they they just Verlander just led that team, and he was the Cy Young. So I think he's going to be the preseason AL.
2: It's going to be an interesting pick because it's it's very difficult, especially for a pitcher to win AL MVP and AL 7 in the same year once, which he did last year. It's going to be even more difficult to do it the next year. And also, plus, who knows how Justin Verlander is going to Handle after last season. He pitched so many innings last year. It's be interesting to see how his arm holds up. Remember last time he pitched this many innings, he did suffer that injury and it offset him for a couple of years. It's going to be very interesting to look at that. AL Cy Young, I think you've already told me what your AL Cy Young pick's pick is probably going to be. It's probably going to be, in your opinion, Justin Verlander. I would agree with that pick, but it's going to be very interesting to see how maybe C.J. Wilson... Or Jared Jared Weaver. I think Jared Weaver might be my pick because he had such a great year last year. I think it's be interesting to see how he is this year with not as much pressure on him to go out on every single start and have to throw near a perfect game because their offense has improved and the rest of the starting pitching and bullpens improved. Yeah, you
0: can't count you can't count out him because he just had no he he didn't get this young because he didn't have enough wins as Justin Verlander did and he didn't. And now that they brought in Albert Pujols, he's going to have the offense to get him enough runs to get every win.
2: Yeah, now I was shifting back towards National League. I think National M- League MVP, I think definitely would be, it's not going to be Ryan Braun for sure. Even if he ha- has no 50-game suspension, I don't think he can handle that offense by himself quite yet. I think my outside, my dark horse in this one might be Justin Upton, Justin Upton. If he can continue to improve. I think he can once again develop into one of the best players in this league by the time he's through. But I think potentially the guy who has the potential to win MVP, if he doesn't get injured, might be Jose Reyes. If the if the Marlins are able to go out, do well, and make the playoffs, Jose Reyes was definitely playing MVP rate right last year until he got hurt. It's interesting to see how he does in that ballpark, which is. Soon to be a very nice ballpark, good pitching staff, and very good defense around, and no pressure.
0: Yeah, that, that's true, but I, my pick is going to be Matt Kemp. With with not a not a great team last year, he still pulled through, and is still absolutely amazing. Matt Kemp is definitely going to get the MVP.
2: It depends on how the Dodgers win. Everyone was saying that last year, oh, 30-30 year. Matt Kemp should definitely win MVP. He didn't because the Dodgers simply couldn't produce. I like the Dodgers that they re-signed Clint Kershaw last year's NL Cy Young, and also they brought in a couple of young pitchers. But still, with that ownership situation, it can be very difficult for them to put together a solid team next year and have any hope of making the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, it can be very difficult for Matt Kemp to win the MVP. Now going on to NL Cy Young, I think it's a two-way race right now. It's going to be between Ian Kennedy and Clayton Kershaw, just like it was last year down the stretch. Ian Kennedy was remarkable last year, winning 20-plus games. I don't think he get the recognition he deserved until the tail end of last year. The amount of close games he pitched and the amount of quality starts he put together was definitely quite remarkable. And he got cheated out of a couple wins there, too, so he should have won closer to the amount that Justin Verlander won.
0: Yeah, but you also can't count out those fighting fills from Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee, who were also on the top of the voting last
2: year. Well, it's interesting to see that, because I don't see any of the Phillies making it. Because then you have not only do you have to compare them to any other pitcher in this league, you have to see if they're the best pitcher, not only in the league, but on their team. That's the problem when you have a team full of aces, it's hard to pick the best ally group. It's going to be interesting to see if they can re sign Cole Hamels. If he can maybe step up. He stepped up at times last year and looked better than Cliff Lee and Roy Halley at times. Cliff Lee was inconsistent at times last year. were stretches where he was on uh, where he's remarkable. Other stretches where he just looked average. Same thing happened with Roy Halley. Roy Halley had a bit of a down year last year. Perhaps all the pressure of having this uh, team full of aces was enough pressure for him. It's been really interesting to see how this team goes together next year.
0: Yeah, you always can't count out Roy Halliday. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. And even when he's on the Blue Jays, he was always on top of that voting. Or or he's second or third. And you just can't count out him. He's a veteran and knows every knows all the stuff.
2: Yeah, and now going to Rookie of the Year. I think American League, it's be very interesting to see. I think it might be Mike Trotter of, of the Angels. He is, I think, the missing component to this Angels team. They have everything. They have hitting, pitching, defense, but they lack a little bit of that depth in the outfield. If Mike Trout can have a solid year, I think he could he can help this Angels team win. the National League, I think might be Bryce Harper if he gets enough playing time and if he's able to produce for this National team. Now it's time for us to take a break. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Sports on Voice American America Kids Network. I'm Bobby, and I was joined by Wills. We're going to take a quick break.
1: You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action. Welcome back to Speaking of Sports
2: on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Bobby, and I'm joined by Wills. And now we're switching gears a little bit. We're going to the NBA, where easily the biggest story has been Lynn Sanity. Jeremy Lynn coming out of nowhere and is winning his first seven whole Games with the Knicks. First six starts. Set the record for most points to ever scored in the first six starts in the NBA. He's a guy who was able to score. He could assist. Lots of comparisons to Steve Nash early on. But here's a big question: Can he? Uh, can he live? How can he work in with Carmelo Anthony?
0: Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting question to see. But you also got to figure in that Amari Stoudemire is there too, which it, they're both young. But I just don't think Lynn has enough veteranship around him where Carmelo is obviously a star player and so is Amari. And kinda so is Lynn now. But I just don't think that Lynn has enough veteranship around him to like lead anything around him. But so I don't think Lynn's saying he's gonna last for much longer.
2: I don't know, he's got the skills, he's shown that and he's shown the longevity. He's got the worth that worth work ethic. I think he can work. I think he could work with Stoudemire, that pick-and-roll offense, exactly the same one that we saw with Steve Nash and Stoudemire when they were both back in Phoenix when the coach was, guess who? Mike D'Antoni, who's currently head coach in the Knicks. But I think it's going to be interesting to see when Carmelo gets in the Knicks. He's a primarily isolation-style player, likes having the ball's hands a lot. I think it, that in the first three quarters, they might play Lynn-style basketball, which will be pick-and-roll basketball, let everyone distribute... Carmelo Anthony can get some of his points there. But I think late in the fourth quarter, it's going to be a tough decision for Mike D'Antoni to see who he trusts more. Jeremy Lane, a guy who's made a couple clutch shots for this team, or will it be Carmelo Anthony who's proven he could do in the last couple of years in the NBA? So it's going to be interesting to see late in games. I think during the game, first three, four quarters, it could work. It depends on Carmelo Anthony's attitude about this whole thing, I believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, even but without Carmelo Anthony, when he was just hurt, uh, when they played the Toronto Raptors Jeremy Lin took the ball down the court and Mike D'Antoni trusted him with it and he hit a three with three, with like .3 seconds to go so it's going to be interesting to see what he does.
2: Yeah I remember the Knicks won their first seven games with Lin that streak ended but still seven strike games with him it was the long second longest streak in the NBA at the time with the San Antonio Spurs also having a huge streak at the time it's going to be really interesting to see but also, I think Jeremy Lin puts him in a little bit of a complex situation going into next year. Jeremy Lin, if the Knicks decide they want to keep him, which I'm sure they want to, it's going be really interesting to see if they'll have the money to re-sign both Lin and fellow second-year player uh, Landry Fields. And that, if they do that, there goes any plans on what Knicks fans were hoping would happen, which would be signing Steve Nash and the Phoenix Suns and seeing a little bit of a reunion. I doubt that will happen unless they get Steve Nash to sign to a better minimum contract, which I do not see them doing. I also don't see Steve Nash leaving Phoenix, so I don't think it would be very likely from the beginning.
0: Yeah, the Knicks just don't have enough money to sign three of those star players. Lynn is going to, he's on a small contract now, but when he gets his contract re-signed, whether it's by the Knicks or not, he's not going to get a high contract, but he's going to get a lot more than he has now. And Landry Fields is just a solid player that always puts in a good 10 points for you every game. So I think they're going to re-sign both. But I don't think they have enough money to re-sign Nash. He's just considered a star player in the NBA.
2: Yeah, I don't see Nash I don't, I don't see Nash see playing class next season. I think he wants to retire as a member of the Phoenix Suns. I don't think the Suns are going to have the funds. If they want to put together a competitive team in the next couple years, I don't think they have the funds to be able to re-sign Steve Nash. So I see Steve Nash not being able to play past this season. He has the ability, but I don't, think, I don't see Steve Nash playing. He doesn't want to play anywhere other than Phoenix, and I don't see him playing in Phoenix. So it's been a really interesting interesting thing to watch.
0: Yeah, with Nash in the last year of his contract, this uh, might be his last year. It should be a sad thing to see one of the best NBA players ever. with Still, as how old he is, leading the league in assists every year.
2: Yeah, also Grant Hill, interesting, same situation last year with his contract. A lot of these players last year their contracts, especially last, a couple years ago in the offseason where they think they made a couple of big busts in the free agent signings. They went and spent big bucks on Charles, Josh Childress and Hakeem Warwick, both signings have not been able to pan out for them thus far. It's going to be interesting to see how this setback sets brings back the Suns. I like Markeith Morris for that Suns team though in the future, he has definitely a lot of potential. I see him not quite yet, but he has a lot of similarities to Dirk Nowitzki. He can shoot the outside shot, he can post up, and he can rebound. So it's going to be very interesting to see in the future how Marquise Morris develops. And also it's going to be interesting to see in the draft, how the Suns draft. Suns not very well known for how they draft. They aren't traditionally known to keep all their draftees. They're more known to get the players through free agency get more proven players, dropping on what they've done rather than what they can do.
0: Yeah, and it's also going to depend on how the Suns finish at the end of the season, if they get a lottery pick or if they end up in the the, um, playoffs. But if the Suns are in the playoffs, they're going to get a 7 or 8, which isn't great. But I think the Suns can play with anyone because just recently the Suns played the Lakers and uh, put a good game up and... It, it was out Lakers, which is hard to play at, one of the, considered one of the best teams in the NBA, but the Suns can play with anyone.
2: Well, that's how it is, I think, with most teams in the NBA. They can keep up with just about every other team. But it's interesting, to see, they don't really have a finisher. Steve Nash isn't known as a big scorer, so they don't have anyone else they can really go to. Gortat, I like a lot. He's improved a lot. But I don't see anyone really stepping up and taking charge for this team which I don't like. I don't think the Suns ha- are going to make the playoffs this season. I don't see it happening. Unless they can make a move at the trade deadline, make a big move. Maybe have to move Nash for a bigger player, for a young talent to player. Like may- there's been some talk around the league possibly having Nash get traded for Josh Smith of the Hawks and possibly having that go. Maybe cuz the Hawks are need a point guard and the Suns need a score. Josh Smith, I like how he fits in with being Suns. It's going be interesting to see how certain moves can impact the team in the future.
0: Yeah, and you know, when it hits the trade deadline, there's always one move that you can never see coming, and that you don't know, like, a surprising fit, or you don't know when, like, how it's going to work, but there's always going to be something that happens during the trade deadline.
2: Yeah, Suns definitely know that. Four years ago, trading away, Sean Marion and Marcus Banks Steve for Shaquille O'Neal. The blockbuster trade that year. And at first did not produce results for either side, but I think it definitely helped out the Suns a little bit more. Even though it also hurt the Suns in the future. They had a great thing going and I was delayed because Sean Marion wanted out. Sean Marion of course has ended up well since then playing and winning a championship with the Mavericks last year. Shaquille O'Neal put together a couple solid seasons with the Suns. But left after just a couple seasons, not very good postseason success. it be very interesting to see.
0: Yeah, but uh, they, had me, they had to trade Sean Marion because if Sean Marion did not go well with the chemistry of the Suns in the locker room, they always fights, and Sean Marion just did not get along.
2: Yeah, it still will be interesting to see maybe a Sean Marion reunion in Phoenix. I think Suns would definitely like it. The fans would like it, but I. I'm not sure right now, possibly in a trade at the trade line, they can make a couple moves, maybe bring him back. He's a versatile guy who could bring in with Alvin Gentry's system. Alvin Gentry runs a system very similar to that of Mike D'Antoni, except he's a little bit more defensive-minded, which still works out in Sean Marion's favor, because remember, at one point, he was one of the best defensive small forwards in the NBA.
0: Yeah, and also, Alvin Gentry uses more of his bench than D'Antoni Day, because uh... he did not use much of the bench. I think he ran six or seven players on the court every game and I think Alvin Gentry uses him around ten now which Sean Mary did not like
2: yeah it'd be interesting to see Sean Murray come on as like a sixth or seventh man I think him and Shannon Brown definitely bring in some high flyers to the Suns team it'd be interesting to see <laughs> speaking of Shannon Brown how he improves he saw, showed a lot of potential to the Lakers the last couple of years we haven't seen much of it with Phoenix it interesting to see how he improves. Now going around the wrestling league, you mentioned the Lakers. I don't see them winning a championship this year unless they make a big move. They're a little bit too old. They rely too much on Kobe Bryant. Meta World Peace is definitely not better this season, but no one really has in that position. Metta World Peace, of course, having a little bit of an argument off the court with uh, Mike Brown saying, that he was a bit of a stats guy, and that's why he's not getting the numbers he wants. But Mike Brown's saying, if I was a stats guy, you wouldn't be playing right now. Ron Artest, also known as Meta World Pace, is not producing right now. Andrew Byron is playing solid, making all-star appearance. Pau Gasol staying consistent, even though he didn't make the all-star team this year. Kobe Bryant has been playing unbelievably. Derek Fisher, I don't think is a serviceable, point, serviceable starting point guard in the NBA anymore, though. I still think that that mistrade trade with Chris Paul definitely will hurt them for the rest of the season. Especially since I see them having to face the Clippers in this postseason. I see that as a likely matchup, and that will be a very difficult matchup, especially with Lop City in LA.
0: Yeah, once um not only the Chris Paul trade that didn't work, but also the Lakers trading away um uh, Lamar Odom to the Mavericks. But that just hasn't worked out for them. Uh, and it's just going to turn out bad for the Lakers Because once they get someone who can only hold Kobe, It's about 15 or 20 points The Lakers are going to be in trouble
2: Yeah, I'm not sure it hasn't worked out very well for Lamar Odom either Because he's no longer that 6th man He's more of a 7th and 8th man Not getting the minutes he wants And he's really struggling to settle in with that Mavericks team He's starting to improve But you, you have to know that he's not going to produce the same way he did last year Especially with the amount of minutes he's getting
0: yeah, Lamar Odom hasn't been himself this year with all that talk with the Kardashians and but Lamar Odom just can't hasn't been producing lately and he's still a great sixth man to come on the court, but he's just not himself.
2: Speaking of six man of Kardashian, I think it'd be interesting to see maybe Chris Humphreys. There's a lot of talk. He's been a very serviceable player. He's a guy who puts up double doubles nearly every night, can produce a little bit. I, it'd be interesting to see him maybe get traded to contender. The Clippers, if they hadn't already made that move for Kenny Martin, I think would have been on the list of the teams that would have been interested in him. He fits in that Clipper style. Maybe the Knicks, are looking for a guy off the bench. There's plenty of teams that could definitely use a guy like Chris Humphreys off the bench, a guy who could produce, score points, and get rebounds on a nightly basis.
0: Yeah, the Clippers need someone to fill in for Chauncey Bulbs, who's now out for the season with a knee injury. And I think Chris Chris Humphries, though he's not much of a point guard, is still a tall, tall shooting guard, which is a great thing that the Clippers need, and they need points right now.
2: And now Jr. This just in: J.R. Smith has signed with the with the New York Knicks. I think that's a very interesting move, especially with the Knicks, how that team's gonna function. It's a another score that Jeremy Lin has to help out. But Chris Humphreys, more of a power forward style player. it would be interesting to see how he plays with big Man. Maybe he can go to Orlando. I'm not sure. But him being a power forward, it would be interesting to see how his rebounding and verticality works out with anything in the NBA, especially maybe free agency next year because he's only on a one-year deal.
0: Yeah, and going back to J.R. Smith, it's going to be interesting to see how J.R. Smith fits in with J.R. Jay Lynn, Carmelo Anthony, and Amari Stoudemire. We're still trying to figure out how Jeremy Lin is going to go in with Carmelo, with Carmelo and um, Stoudemire. But with that, they also have a now outside shooter that can shoot the three. And I think this is going to work very well for the Knicks because they can spread out the court very well with Carmelo either going outside or down low. Lin dribbling the ball up and. And Stoudemire down low also. And then Jr. Smith on the outside.
2: I like Kamala Anthony a lot more as a post player. He's got very polished post skills. I don't like. I don't think his outside shooting developed quite yet. So I think that pick and roll style offense, maybe having Carmelo Anthony on a couple of mid-range jumpers, it's interesting to see how this team works together. And also, I think a team that very much could surprise everyone in the playoffs this year will be Denver. Team that doesn't really have a star a star player, but so much depth, so much talent around them, I think it could very much work late in the playoffs. So that's the end of our show. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Sports. I'm Fabian, and for Will's, I will be signing off.
3: But sometimes, they can get to be a handful.
2: Welcome and back to us. Speaking of Sports control, here on Voice America Kids Network. We're here in Wells well, Fargo Arena in Tempe, Arizona great. to prepare for, for our ASU-USC women's, 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 women's Basketball Showdown. We're, we just best finished best talking about the NFL. And keep keep now we're long going, long going long 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 to talk about some
3: general NCAA overview as far as college football goes. We're in the middle of
2: bowl season, very important time of the year, very exciting time, lots of great matchups, and we've seen a lot of these bowls, a lot of records broken.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, we start out with the biggest record broken so far, that Orange Bowl the other night, West Virginia putting up 49, was it, in the first half, yeah. 70 as a whole. That West Virginia offense, I'm not sure if it was the West Virginia offense or the Clemson defense, but that was really something else. Um, It it was a matchup between the Big East and the ACC. I think those are pretty clearly the two weakest BCS conferences. But still, just an impressive showing by that West Virginia team. Um, Because Clemson, even though they might not belong in the BCS Bowl game, they are a pretty good team. They are a top 15 team in this country, I think. Uh, And West Virginia just made a joke out of them, really. That West Virginia offense... You know, It's not Rich Rodriguez's offense. It's not the same spread, run-every-play offense that you're used to seeing from West Virginia. It's really something else that's really something that's pretty impressive uh, over there for the Mountaineers.
2: Yeah, well, I have to argue, case okay, for Big East being a weak BCS school, especially with the new conference realignment. In its current state, Big East is a weak conference. But with the new realignment, I think Big East has potential to really improve in the next couple of years, especially when you're bringing in schools such as Boise State, which has proven... It can win some pretty big games.
4: Yeah, Boise State is definitely, I think Boise State has to immediately be the favorite in the, uh, in the Big East. That's a big time school. That's at this point, Boise State has to be viewed as one of the elite programs in college football. So adding them, I think, yeah, you're right, makes a big difference for the Big East. Um, but other conferences are pretty much on the rise as well. If you look around, the Pac 12, the SEC, uh, TCU joining uh, TCU throwing their weight around as well. These things really make a big difference. The Big East isn't the only conference improving. Kind of everyone but the Big 12 is Well yeah and also you have to talk, Pac-12 I think if the
2: teams in the Pac-12 South can prove that they can win on a consistent basis and not have their slip-ups otherwise they're going to sit down like an ACC team. A team that has a lot, so much potential but always seems to struggle in the big moments Pac-12 South, with the exception of USC, really has to prove itself next season. USC, I think, has a really good potential next season to make a... Maybe even a potential national title run, especially with the return of Mac Berkeley. But, Pac-12 North is really a powerhouse right now. I have to say, with Oregon, Stanford... And Washington put up a pretty good showing in the Alamo Bowl against Baylor. But also... Big Ten is a big conference on the rise, especially with the addition of Nebraska. Nebraska has had a good showing. Penn State's always good. Ohio State's looking to improve. Despite all the, they have talent, they just need to improve. Wisconsin's got excellent football team, especially with Montee Ball coming back. And also Michigan's on the rise. So Big Big Ten is definitely a conference to look at. Boise State, TCU, coming up with elite programs. And they've really been surprised in recent years. Houston being one win away from a potential BCS
4: bull bid. Yeah, I agree. We're really seeing teams, schools out there building programs instead instead of building dynasties, really. We're not seeing, like, the Pete Carroll USC's teams we're just 10 years straight they're going to dominate. We're not seeing like any of the old Alabama teams like that. Although Alabama's been very good recently, we're seeing a lot of schools able to recruit solid consistent recruiting classes as opposed to a few teams, you know, usually one in each region, one in the pacific coast, one in the south, etc., gobbling up all the big time recruits. I think I agree. That's very good for college football. That's how you get big time rivalry games like Oklahoma versus Texas. Uh, the Red River Shootout is at its best when both Oklahoma and Texas are able to get some recruits each, able to both build solid programs instead of trying to smother the other schools.
2: Yeah, I still think SEC is, without a doubt, the top Absolutely. conference. Absolutely. They've proven it. They have 16, they have teams in the top 25. They have two teams in the national championship game. And then you're looking at every single year, top recruiting classes, you have... Guys from going to South Carolina, guys going to Auburn, and of course Alabama, LSU. Last year, so many of the top recruits. I think I believe about five of the top ten recruits went to either Auburn or, South Carol- Auburn or South Carolina. Two programs definitely on the rise, and it's all just SEC generated. SEC East is definitely a good, good, but the SEC West needs to improve. There needs to be a team that needs to step up. Now Florida has pretty much decreased. Georgia's looking to be that team, but they're too inconsistent, I believe, at times. So one of those teams has to really
4: step up. I agree. You gotta wonder about coaching over there in Georgia, um, because that's just a team that loses bad ball games sometimes. A team which just loses the t- uh, loses the schools that they really shouldn't. Um, they have elite talent, like you mentioned, Bobby, and everyone in the SEC has elite talent because really we're seeing the South pretty much producing most of college football's top-tier players. Um, So yeah, I agree. A school like Georgia, really any of those schools in the SEC West has the talent to compete with the best of the SEC East and with the best in college football. It's just a matter of using that talent and creating a good, consistent program uh, like Steve Spurrier is working on in USC.
2: Yeah, now going back to bowl games, we've seen so many incredible, exciting bowl games thus far two bcs bowl games going to overtime already that's already a bcs record and numerous other bowl games going to double triple overtime such as that michigan state georgia game which michigan state prevailed in triple overtime but also we've seen several new schools emerging and creating competitive games like you see a perfect example of that is the fiesta bowl two incredibly new programs to, to the elite stage Yet, creating both of them, them, I think, could have made a case in the national championship game. And it created an electrifying game. Stanford-Oklahoma State, two of the best teams I've seen in a while. That game was electric from the start. And Andrew Luck is, without doubt, the number one pick. I see little to no flaws in his game thus far. Also, one thing I noticed, Brandon Whedon, I believe... If it wasn't for his age, he'd be a top five pick right now. I think right now he might fall to a team in the second round, and maybe end up being to a team what Andy Dalton was to the Bengals, falling far because of certain things, and then coming back and leading his team to having a pretty elite group. Perhaps maybe having a Blackman-Whedon reunite, having drafting Blackman in the first round, Whedon second round.
4: Yeah, definitely going to be strange having, what, 27-year-old rookie in there for some franchise. Uh, But we do know he knows how to be a professional. He's done that before. Um, I agree. We really saw some great quarterbacking play from both ends. Andrew Luck completely sold me in that game. I understand that a lot of people are starting to lean towards uh, RG3, Robert Griffin of Baylor, as the number one overall pick. There are some people who see him as a better talent, a better specimen than Andrew Luck. Um, but to me, Andrew Luck just looks like the clear-cut best player in college football. I understand that Stanford is kind of a rushing attack. Um, you know, They kind of run a traditional offense with big-time running back play in addition to Andrew Luck. But the way Luck throws the ball and the way he sees the field and the accuracy of his passes, it's Brady-esque, honestly. He reminds me of a Tom Brady who can move. Um, just because of the sheer accuracy that he's able to put on that ball. And one of the other things though, he
2: reminds me so much of Peyton Manning, you know why? The way he commands his team at the line. The way he calls his own plays. He audibles each of his best situations. He sees that team stacking the blitz, he quickly changes play and makes it look incredible. Andrew Luck is definitely a talent to be watched. But also a guy I think that needs to be watched in college, that's going to be in college for the next couple of years. D'Anthony Thomas, in that Rose Bowl game, he has proven he can be one of the most dynamic players in college football for years to come. Him and Sammy Watkins, I look forward to see him in three, four years.
4: Yeah, I agree. That's kind of a, that level of dynamicism, we see it doesn't always translate to the NFL, is one thing. We've seen guys like Reggie Bush who had a very good season this year, but has not been able to live up to the hype. But certainly raw speed and versatility is something that's always useful. Those all-purpose yards is always a good stat to look at. And like you mentioned, those two guys do it as well as anybody. Um, yeah, I agree. We'll have to see what comes with their upper class. We'll come to them as juniors and seniors, and then hopefully in the NFL.
2: Yes, but also, Russell Wilson, I like his chances. He looks like a real pro NFL a run. There's questions about his accuracy
4: at times. There's questions about his size. But I think he's like a Drew Brees type player. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with you quite on that one on the Drew Brees comparison. But only time will tell. as We're going to take a break here. Uh, this is Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
1: tune in to take two every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Kids channel there's so much going on in the tech field the tech team is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid in this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day you need to be informed we'll bring you previews of new products technology news and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player cell phone or mobile device Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to the Tech Team. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. What are some of the issues that kids face every day? You'll find out when you tune in to the appropriately named Today's Kids your hosts are here to open the doors to a forum of all kinds of issues nothing is off the table here and because it's on the voice America kids channel you know you're getting a kids perspective tune in every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific time 7 p.m. Eastern time for today's kids your hosts will lead this forum of engaging conversation on voice America kids
3: wanna know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite voice America talk radio network host how about what's new with our network
1: You're tuned in to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. Now, back into the action.
4: Thank you, and welcome back to Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids. I'm Jason. Joining me today is Fabian. We're here live from Tempe, Arizona, broadcasting some pregame before a women's college basketball matchup between Arizona State University and the University of Southern California. As we were just talking about uh, NCAA bowl season, we were just talking about college football. We got into a little bit of a couple of guys who may or may not translate into the NFL game. So, Bobby, let's take a look at some of the biggest prospects for the NFL next season. And also, let's start out with a couple of guys who did not declare for the NFL draft. A couple of guys who will go back for their senior season. There's, of course, Monte Ball and Matt Barkley. Yeah,
2: Matt Barkley. I really like his decision. I think it was a smart decision, especially... I think he's a top five, maybe number one overall quarterback prospect. He has that kind of ability, especially now with USC having the opportunity to be in a bowl game next year. Now that their suspension's over. Also, I think this year, I don't think I'm pretty sure he would not be the top quarterback in this draft class. I see Luck for sure, and possibly RG3 being ahead of Barkley in this draft class.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, also, there's the other element is that Barkley is definitely a guy who wants to win that bowl game, wants to win that national championship. I think even though we sit here and look at Matt Barkley and say what success he's been in college and how great he is, I think somewhere along the line, Matt Barkley wants to have a college career like a Matt Leinart of sorts, uh, and not so much like a, you know a John David Booty or even a Mark Sanchez, guys who didn't quite get it done, didn't live up to that USC name. I think that's kind of what Barkley's looking for. But I agree. From a draft prospect point of view, I don't think this is going to be like a Jake Locker thing where he would have been the first pick in the draft, but he slides all the way down to you know 10 or 15. Same thing happened to Matt Leiner. Um, I agree that I think next year's quarterback class just really can't be as strong at the top as this season's Um, because I feel like RG3 and Andrew Luck are being viewed as two of the best quarterback prospects in a very long time. Whereas without those two in the picture, Barkley Ivory jumps to the top of those quarterback rankings. I think he can get himself a first pick. Well, speaking pick.
2: of another quarterback who is coming back next year, who I think could make some noise after having a disappointing year this year, is Landry Jones out of Oklahoma. Yeah. He's got a with potential and a pretty big arm. And I think Oklahoma is a team that has some growing up to do. And I think we'll come back better than ever next season.
4: Yeah, you know, honestly, there have been a few quarterbacks who really didn't get the credit they deserve because of the huge years by RG3 and Andrew Luck and all the hype around them. Landry Jones, uh, Russell Wilson over in Wisconsin, these guys didn't quite get noticed this year. They could be huge-time NFL quarterbacks a couple years down the road. It'll be interesting to see... Obviously, it'll be interesting to see who gets Luck and Griffin this year, but even next year's quarterback draft should be a good one. Uh, let's talk about Andrew Luck, a guy who is coming out. Literally are looking at him, comparing him to Robert Griffin III, who foregoed his senior season and seems like he'll enter the NFL draft. If you were a head coach picking first overall, you need a quarterback. Who would you rather have, Luck or Griffin? Easy, Luck.
2: First of all, because of all hype he's had, if you don't want luck and if you decide you don't like luck as prospect, you can still draft him and trade him and get that many picks for him in return. And you can get that much in him for return and you can get set up your franchise for years to come if you don't want it. You can also easily trade down trade yourself down to that six round pick and to that six overall pick. But also pick up a couple of other first rounders, set yourself franchise up for years to come. And then maybe you can RG3 there and 6 overall, and then you can help set up your franchise.
4: Um, yeah, I guess as a whole, I agree with you. You kind of have to take Andrew Luck. Like you mentioned, all of that hype surrounding him. If you pass up on Andrew Luck, you're going to look ridiculous. Obviously, there's always a winner and a loser when there's two type of prospects like this. You know, for every Peyton Manning, there's usually a Ryan Leaf. For every Kevin Durant, there's a Greg Oden. Um, But at some point, you kind of have to take Andrew Luck. That being said, I think if you ignore Luck, if you ignore what we think Luck can do, if we ignore things like Luck's leadership, I think RG3 might be the better raw quarterback prospect. I think Griffin's a better athlete. I think he's got similar passing ability, similar arm strength. Not quite Luck's accuracy, but that could come. And I think he's a spectacular athlete on top of that.
2: Yeah, but I only see... RG3 settling into, like, a Cam Newton type player. Cam Newton is a guy who I think would translates to NFL really easily because of his size, because of its ability. RG3 is a little bit more of a smaller quarterback. I think built more like a Michael Vick. And if he can become, like, how Vick was last season, being able to pass in the pocket but also move when he has to, I think he has potential. If not, he could turn up into a Demarcus Russell type quarterback.
4: Yeah, I agree that people comparing Robert Griffin to Cam Newton is a little bit ridiculous. You know, the Cam Newtons and Tim Tebows of the world—they're kind of like you know guys like Dante Culpepper or even Donovan McNabb. You know, they're the bigger, bulkier guys, the Ben Roethlisberger types who move around in the pocket, occasionally use their legs. Whereas I agree, a Michael Vick or a Steve Young type is more where I see Robert Griffin. That being said, that's still a very dynamic quarterback spot. Um, we'll see. Well, like I said, if I was actually picking first, I think you have to take Andrew Luck, because you look ridiculous if you don't, and he winds up being the franchise quarterback people think he is. Um But I'm not sure. Someone's going to have a very difficult decision on that.
2: Yeah, speaking of difficult decisions, we've heard one earlier. Today, earlier we've heard that uh, Monty Ball is going to stay. And I think, I'm not sure if that's the best decision for him, but it's possible. Especially with this draft class of running backs. I wouldn't be surprised if Michael James makes the same decision. O- Oregon is looking to shape up to be a powerhouse for years to come. I- and that offense is so dynamic, I think that I have a chance of being in the national championship game again. And with Michael James there, it's even better. Monty Ball, I think, is a good decision as well. I think, I- here's the reason why I don't think, I think both of them say. This year's draft class is so packed with running back prospects who are so dynamic taking physical, and they can
4: run. I don't see Monty Ball or Michael James
2: going higher in the second round.
4: I agree. And I think the other thing is just as a running back, I feel like waiting another season is always a good idea. Running back is such a short lived position in the NFL, such a small lifespan. That if you wait another year, you can always try and wait out, you know, the Adrian Petersons, whoever the top running backs at that time are. They're gonna. We never really know when they're going to wear down, when they're going to fade into nothingness. So I agree, I think it's always a smart idea for those guys to wait. Especially, I think this year, in addition to a stacked running back list, like you mentioned, Fabian, um, there are also a lot of teams looking to draft quarterbacks, receivers, or O-linemen in that first round. I agree, I don't see either as before a second round pick this year. So I agree with you, that going back, both of them making a play for a national championship, it's a smart move. Yeah, especially, I really like,
3: no
2: matter how much hype Michael James has gotten, how, many, how dynamic Leclerc is, I think Monte Ball is more traditional NFL back, but I also see Michael James being that second back, being that feature back, the guy who's in for like a Felix Jones type of guy. When you need first of yards, you bring him in. I think actually, if you put these two guys together in the NFL, you can make a pretty dynamic running duo, but here's the thing. While they may be different running styles, I think they're so eerily similar that I think both could transition very well to the NFL.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think it's really well. Michael James, I do have some health concerns for him. Uh, obviously, the smaller stature, and then on top of that, some injury problems in Oregon. Uh, not not sure about what Michael James' NFL future. I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if Monte Ball just wound up being one of those incredibly solid NFL backs. I don't see him as a dynamic, explosive guy in the NFL, but I see him as a guy who can be your one back, run between the tackles, and just do a nice, solid job for several years. Um, but hopefully he can make a first-round pick out of that. Now, back to those uh, quarterback and receivers positions, there is one major receiving prospect coming out, of the N- coming out into the draft this year. It's not quite like last year where we had both Julio Jones and A. J. Green. This year it's pretty much all Justin Blackman for NFL receiving prospects.
2: Yeah, Justin Blackman, especially when if you saw that Fiesta ball tape, if you look go, look back over it, he is a freak of nature. I see him I see perhaps a combination of Calvin Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. The speed, the strength, the tackling the jumping ability, the ability to go out and make catch in traffic and make that spectacular grab like Fitzgerald, but also the ability to just dominate someone that's, marking, that's uh, defending you like Calvin Johnson, and the ability to just take over a game. I think both those receivers definitely have. I think one thing that Blackman might need to improve might be his route running and his run after the catch. He's good at getting yards after the catch, but at times, he's a little bit loose with the football, which can be pretty harmful.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think Blackman has every physical tool you could want out of a receiver. It's just going to be interesting to see if he can develop those raw receiving skills that can only be developed with years and years of hard work and practice. Hopefully he has that NFL drive. It seems like he does. He's a guy I'm looking forward to seeing on Sunday.
2: Yes, but he's also a guy who's had some injury issues in college. Especially, he's seen the Rose Bowl. He was playing with an infection in his leg. He played pretty well through the paint, but he's had some issues during college,
4: which could see him dropping a couple spots on the draft. Maybe. I think uh, I think the first team that needs a receiver is going to take him because I feel like he has that best player on the board appeal. Um, I, think, uh, the, yeah, I think the first team who has a major hole at receiver who doesn't need a quarterback will take Justin Black, but I think he's a top-five pick pretty easy. Well,
2: yeah, like Tom McShay has said, he's a 10 pick, but uh, Mel Kiper is a number 5 pick. So there's lots of very fluctuation of where he could go. I like him in his future in the NFL, but he still has those questions. But yet again, so did A.J. Green. And people say A.J. Green's too skinny, he's not going to be strong enough to
4: play, and he's had a remarkable rookie year. Yep, definitely a lot of questions, but as someone like Jimmy Graham has shown us. In some ways, it does make sense to draft on talent. Uh, Well, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason. Joining me today was Bobby. And be sure to keep it right here. This was Speaking of Sports on Voice America Kids.
1: Thanks again for listening to Speaking of Sports on the Voice America Kids channel. Make sure you come on back next week for another great show.